I have a letter to read to you today. It's an authentic letter from the Civil War era, simply entitled, To My Old Master. And it's written by an ex-slave. It was written by an ex-slave named uh, Jordan Anderson in August of 1865 to uh, Colonel P.H. Anderson of Big Spring, Tennessee. And uh, basically, as I read this letter, you'll be able to figure out the situation. And uh, I wonder if I could read this with the, uh, an appropriate accent or not. That would be hard. I haven't enough, spent enough time in the deep south, but I could try. Should I try to do it with, a, with an appropriate accent? Okay. Yeah. So, August 7th, 1865, to my old master, Colonel P.H. Anderson, Big Spring, Tennessee. Sir, I got your letter and was glad to find that you had not forgotten Jordan and that you wanted me to come back and live with you again, promising to do better for me than anybody else can. I have often felt uneasy about you. I thought the Yankees would have hung you long before this for harboring Rebs they found at your house. I suppose they never heard about your going to Colonel Martin's to kill the Union soldier that was left by his company in their stable. Although you shot at me twice before I left you, I did not want to hear of your being hurt, and I am glad to I am glad you are still living. Is that a good accent? Can you follow? Can you follow that? Okay, I'll, I'll keep going with it. It would do me good to go back to the dear old home again and see Miss Mary and Miss Martha and Ellen, Esther Green and Lee. Give my love to them all and tell them I hope we will meet in the better world, if not in this. I would love to have gone back to see you all when I was working in the Nashville hospital. But one of the neighbors told me that Henry intended to shoot me if he ever he got a chance. I want to know particularly what the good chance is you propose to give me. So the, the context here is Colonel Anderson wrote to him when he was in Ohio to ask if he'd come back and work for him. He offered him his freedom. I should uh, give you that much. I am doing tolerably well here. I get $25 a month with victuals and clothing. Have a comfortable home for Mandy. The folks call her Mrs. Anderson, and the children, Millie, Jane, and Grundy, go to school and are learning well. The teacher says Grundy has a head for a preacher. They go to Sunday school, and Mandy and me attend church regularly. We are kindly treated. Sometimes we overhear others saying them colored people were slaves down in Tennessee. The children feel hurt when they hear such remarks, but I tell them it was no disgrace in Tennessee to belong to Colonel Anderson. Many darkies would have been proud, as I used to be, to call you a master. Now, if you will write and say what wages you will give me, I will be better able to decide whether it would be to my advantage to move back again. As to my freedom, which you say I can have, there is nothing to be gained on that score, as I got my free papers in 1864 from the Provost Marshal General of the Department of Nashville. Mandy says she would be afraid to go back without some proof that you were disposed to treat us justly and kindly. And we have concluded to test your sincerity by asking you to rend us our send us our wages for the time we served you. This will make us forget and forgive old scores and rely on your justice and friendship in the future. I served you faithfully for 32 years and Mandy 20 years. At $25 a month for me and $2 a week for Mandy, our earnings would amount to $11,680. And, in, and to this, the interest for the time our wages have been kept back 
and deduct what you paid for our clothing, and three doctor's visits to me, and pulling a tooth from Mandy, and the balance will show what we are in justice entitled to. Please send the money by Adams Express in care of V. Winters, Esquire, Dayton, Ohio. If you fail to pay us for faithful labors in the past, we can have little faith in your promises in the future. We trust the good maker has opened your eyes to the wrongs which you and your fathers have done to me and my fathers in making us toil for you for generations without recompense. Here I draw my wages every Saturday night, but in Tennessee there was never any payday for the Negroes any more than for the horses and cows. Surely there will be a day of reckoning for those who defraud the laborer of his hire. In answering this letter, please state if there would be any safety for my Millie and Jane, who are now grown up and both good-looking girls. You know how it was with poor Matilda and Catherine. I would rather stay here and starve and die, if it come to that, than have my girls brought to shame by the violence and wickedness of their young masters. You will also please state if there has been any schools opened for the colored children in your neighborhood. The greatest desire of my life now is to give my children an education and have them form virtuous habits. Say howdy to George Carter, and thank him for taking the pistol from you when you were shooting at me. From your old servant, Jordan Anderson. That comes from a book called The Freedman's Book. That's an authentic letter from the Civil War era, from an ex-slave to his ex. I guess you could say his ex. His ex, yeah, his ex-master. And uh, my assumption is the colonel did not send the money, <laughs> and Mr. Anderson probably did not take his family back. But I thought, did you hear the parallels between that situation and what we read in the book of Exodus today? We're reading about a nation of slaves that are free. They have been pronounced free by the creator of the universe. They have been redeemed with blood, and they're walking away. And Pharaoh just can't give up. He's like, Come back, come back. I don't want to lose my free labor, eh? And, um, and uh, he's like making these, I don't know if he's making an invitation or not. He's more just going to take them by force. And uh, interestingly enough, the people of Israel, it doesn't take too long before they, they forgot how brutal slavery was in Egypt. So I thought, wow, I just, I just saw that this week. And I thought, this, is, this fits so perfectly with what we're reading about. So I, uh, I want to look at the journey of the people of Israel out of Egypt and to the land of Israel as a picture of your journey with Yeshua out of Satan's kingdom and on this journey of disciples that each of us are on now and on, on the way to uh, his kingdom. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of specific pictures in there and look at some, some dangers along the road because there are some veritable dangers. In uh, one of Yeshua's emissaries, Shaul was his Hebrew name, Polos was his Greek name, wrote to a community of Yeshua's disciples in the city of Corinth. So you have like a big, um, a big bunch of people. Most of them are ex-hardcore pagans. You have, a couple, you have some Jewish people in the mix also. And they're all following Yeshua. And this is what he writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. So he says, guys, there's something that I don't want you to be ignorant of. So maybe we, we, we'll check this out. So just to make sure that Paul wouldn't be distraught about us. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of this. That our fathers, everybody say our fathers. The Hebrew there is avotenu. We're all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud. 
and in the sea. End of thought. Firstly, it's, it's interesting that Paul was writing predominantly to a bunch of non-Jews and he was talking to them about the people of Israel and Egypt and he was calling them our fathers. I mean, you could, you could read that in one of two ways. You could, be, you could see that as Paul kind of standing at a distance and talking to these, quote, Gentile believers in Corinth and saying, our fathers, as in me and my Jewish people, our fathers. Or you could look at that as Paul writing inclusively and saying, you have been brought into a family. And Avotenu, our fathers are yours too. Our history has become your history. I would read it in the latter sense when I read the rest of Paul's letters and his general tone. So, when guys, so he's saying, guys, whether you're from a Jewish or non-Jewish background, this is your story. This is our national history. And there's some lessons here for us. And then he says, all of them were under the cloud, and all of them went through the sea, and they were baptized into Moses through the cloud. And they were baptized into Moses through the sea. It's kind of a crazy thought. Baptized into Moses? What is he talking about? So we're going to look at that a little bit and, and break it down. Um, you could say that Paul was probably writing with this idea of a harmonic in his mind. Uh, you know how if you have like a musical scale, uh, you have, what's the first note in a musical scale usually if you're playing on the piano? C, right? C, D, E, F, G, etc. And then you go back up to C. And so you, even in a scale, like you have a middle C and then you have a lower C and a higher C. And often if you look at the scriptures through the concept of harmonics, you'll see all of these, uh, these harmonics playing out. So, for instance, in this story in the Torah, the people of Israel are baptized into Moses. Could it be that that's a harmonic of your immersion into Yeshua? That's kind of the idea there. And uh, we'll, we'll build on that idea. If you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. Like, okay, let's say that you're one of the people of Israel. All right, so Naomi, like, she's with her family and they kill the lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost and they have a big lamb barbecue that night and um, they're kind of scared because, like, the prophet said that this, this, like, messenger of death is going to be going through the country and if people go outside and they're the oldest, they might die. So everybody's watching Matthew especially because he's the oldest and they're like, Matthew is not going to get out that door. So, you know, if Matthew makes a move for the door, like Braden tackles him before he gets there, right? That's kind of the idea. And um, anyway, sure enough, that night, like every, there's like screaming all over Egypt and tons of people die. And the next morning, Pharaoh's like, okay, get out of here, just go. And so everybody goes to their neighbor and is like, can I have some money for the, for the trip? And, um, and so they get all of this like really nice jewelry and all sorts of goods and, uh, and away they go. And who are they following through the wilderness? It's, well, it's kind of like a double. Like They're following Moses, right? Moses is the prophet who came out of the wilderness and he, he, he had the showdown with Pharaoh and he was really instrumental in, in springing us all out of Egypt, right? There was also this huge cloud that everybody could see that was kind of moving along through the desert. So that would be kind of reassuring. Like, you're not just following Moses. There's this supernatural cloud and rumor has it that Yahweh himself is in that cloud. Ooh, I'm going where the cloud's going. But to do that, you had to, have, you had to have some trust in Moses. And maybe if some people were like, I don't know, maybe this is just a big thing that Moses cooked up. I mean, seriously, maybe he had a whole bunch of henchmen that went through Egypt and just knifed all the firstborns. Or maybe he, I don't know, maybe he had some really advanced technology that he used to pull off these plagues. Or maybe it was just a freak of freak coincidence, kind of like 
evolution would suggest with, the cre with the, how the cosmos came into being. So let's say you have some guys that are kind of skeptical, right? So they're leaving Egypt because, well, like Egypt's, Egypt's economy just bottomed out. It's a, it's, a, it's a garbage pit at that point, right? So we might as well go with Israel for the adventure. So they're going through the desert and everybody starts freaking out because they hear that Pharaoh changed his mind and he's going to come. He's coming with like a crack team of like really dangerous dudes with really advanced weaponry, let's say tanks, and they're just going to come and they're just going to wipe Israel out. He's just going to come and kill them all. You'd be like, ah, we're going to get run over by a tank. And everybody's freaking out. And so you know the story, right? Um, sure enough, that night, Egypt gets really close to Israel, but this cloud is phenomenal. It comes, it moves from in front of the camp to behind the camp, and it forms this big, like, illuminated barrier so that Pharaoh and his army can't reach the people of Israel. And then you know what happens, right? Moses the prophet, he stretches out his staff, and this wind comes up, and I don't know, they're probably all holding their tents down, or they were just going to blow right away. Probably didn't get much sleep that night. Between the wind and, like, you know, just being freaked out about being on the verge of being killed. And um, in the morning, what happened? There was, like, this path through the sea. And it wasn't just like it was a really shadow little swamp sea, like we have all over Saskatchewan. It wasn't just a, like an alkaline slough we're talking about. This is a real sea. And it says specifically the, wa the water was like a wall on either side of them. So if you're walking through this thing, you could have walked up to the edge and like put your hand in the, in the water, you know, trying to grab a fish for a sushi snack or something. That was the idea. And um, at that point, you'd have a really hard time like being skeptical about Moses because you're walking through this ocean. And, and just to top it all off, Israel gets through. When Pharaoh starts through, whoop, just kind of pull back whatever it was that was holding that sea open, and the sea closes over his whole army and drowns them. And they see some of their dead bodies washed up on the seashore. And everybody is singing and dancing, and all the ladies go with their tambourines. And like, they're like, can you just imagine the thrill of that moment? Like, you've, if you've ever seen a movie where, like, they were going to die. The good, people, the good guys were going to die. And it was, like, so close. And there was so much suspense. And then somehow or other, like, they were rescued. Or they got away or whatever. And you know, just, like, the relief you feel? That's just a movie. Like, think about it in real life. And not just with a little group of people. With a whole nation. Like, it's probably really hard to catch the energy of the moment. I, I, just so much adrenaline, so much stress, so much suspense, and then you see the sea closed, and you know it's all over, and we actually got away. Like, oh, I just, I wish I could have been there. The energy of the moment. Anyway, at that point, you'd have a really hard time if you were sane, being like, you know, Moses, nah, I can't trust this guy's leadership. This is just a big show. Like, at that point, you'd, you'd think you'd take Moses pretty seriously. And that's probably the concept of being baptized into Moses. Like at that point, you're in with this guy. If you want to go back to Egypt, tough. You just walked through like an avenue that is not going to be opening again. There is no turning back at this point. You're going with Moses into the wilderness wherever he's going to go. If you're saying that would be your conclusion. Strangely enough, a lot of people came to other conclusions a little on in the journey. But um. I think maybe that's the idea behind being baptized into Moses in the sea. And that's a picture of you. Because every one of us in this room, we have had an experience where we had like massive dysfunction in our lives or addiction or sin that we could not get away from or whatever it was that you have struggled with. Or maybe 
Maybe you were just a really, really like religious, legalistic, cold-hearted person, and you actually had everything together, like Paul, but you were just mean and a jerk. Maybe that was your story, and Yeshua saved you from that. That's pretty impressive, too. All that to say, we, all, we can all look back and we can say, I had this in my life, and Yeshua redeemed me, and he brought me out of it. And I have been, and I have chosen to immerse myself in water in his name to say that I'm following this guy. I trust his leadership. And there is no turning back at this point. Can you see the parallel between Israel being baptized into Moses and not even just you as an individual being immersed into Yeshua, but, but us as a community being immersed in Yeshua's name? Like there's no turning back for us as a community. We're not going back. So it's kind of cool too that it doesn't, Paul didn't just mention being baptized into Moses by the sea, like in water, but also in the cloud. Like in, in the new covenant experience that each of us have come into, what do you think being baptized in the cloud would be a picture of? The Ruach? The Spirit? How do you mean? Say a little more. That's good. Yeah, it's the abiding presence. You always in the cloud and you couldn't see him, but he was right there, present, eh? That's a great picture. Yeah. You remember like one of the big promises that the early Talmudim were really excited about is Yeshua isn't just going to immerse you in water like Yochanan the Immerser did. He's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And isn't it interesting that there were times when the presence of Elohim would come so strongly that a cloud, for instance, would fill the temple. Isn't it interesting that in the middle of that cloud that led the people of Israel through the wilderness, there was a fire. It was like the biggest nightlight you've ever seen. It was like radiant heating in the desert when you would probably really need it. Have any of you ever like camped out in the desert? In the desert, it is baking hot in the daytime and it is freezing cold in the nighttime. And if you are like trucking out of Egypt with maybe not too much for possessions because everything you carry, you're carrying on your back and you don't want to have like a 300 pound backpack, then it's highly probable that you don't have a very warm sleeping bag for nighttime. And that cloud with like a burning fire inside of it would be really cozy at night to kind of be camping around. All that to say, the whole concept of like Israel in the cloud, being immersed into Moses through the cloud, that's a picture of you being immersed into Yeshua through the Holy Spirit and, um, and, and through, um, through the fire of Elohim. So I, I, really, I really love that because that's something that every one of us has experienced and that we're, we're experiencing. Okay, yeah, the scripture that says they followed his footprints through the sea although they didn't see them. I think I've, I've read that in the Psalms too. Yeah, that's a very poetic expression of that. Um, okay, here's, here's a question. We're looking at this account of, ex, of Israel emerging from Egypt. We look at being, the concept of being immersed into Moses through the cloud and through the sea. What does Pharaoh picture in this story for, uh, for us in our experience now? The enemy? Now shout out lots of answers to me. What is Pharaoh a picture of? If like immersion, if immersion um, in the sea is a picture of immersion into Moses, like water baptism, and immersion through the cloud is a picture of immersion in the Holy Spirit, then what about Pharaoh? What is he picturing here? Hmm? The enemy, the, our old bondage, our old nature, the devil. Yeah, Pharaoh and the devil were pretty tight. Fears and insecurities. Fears and insecurities. 
How about the religious system sometimes? Anything that would control you against your will would be another one. Remember Paul? He was like, I, I know the law of God and I want to do the law of God, but there's this thing in me that doesn't let me. So that I like, I, I want to do this one thing, but then I end up doing other stuff. You know, I want to treat my loved ones well, but I end up being, I end up hurting them. I, I want to take care of my body and I end up abusing it through an addiction. You know, you name it, right? Oh, uh, there's so many people in this world and like what they, what they want to do and what they do is two separate things. It's like the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That concept, eh? And so Pharaoh, Pharaoh is a picture of all of that. I mean, Pharaoh pictures a lot in this story, eh? And uh, did you notice how God had to deal with Pharaoh? Like, God could not reason with Pharaoh. He could not negotiate with the guy. Even after Pharaoh was like, you just killed my firstborn, the heir apparent. I can see that you're definitely more powerful than me and significantly smarter, so I'm going to let Israel go. What does he do? Like, he reneges on the agreement. He changes his mind. He's like, no, I'm going to go and get him and they're going to be my slaves. And so, like, what does the Holy One have to do to deal with Pharaoh once and for all? He has to kill the guy. Just, he just has to kill Pharaoh to take care of the guy. That's God's final solution for Pharaoh. And he has to like, bring Israel right through this massive body of water so that Egypt simply cannot reach Israel anymore and, and Israel cannot go back. I wonder if that isn't a picture of something. He kills his strength. Yeah, he kills his army. I don't know if Pharaoh survived or not. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, his strength is his army. His, arm, his, his army was like an extension of himself, hey? They were like the body of Pharaoh. <laughs> right. So here's, um, here's, here's a passage again from one of Shaul's epistles where he talks about how what God did to Pharaoh to rescue Israel is what he did for you to rescue you from the control of sin and Satan who uses sin as one of his chief control mechanisms. In um, Shaul's letter to the Yeshua community in Rome, chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, this is what he says. Listen for the parallel. Don't you know that all of us who have been immersed into Messiah Yeshua have been immersed into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through immersion into death so that as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in new life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So to deal with Pharaoh and to rescue Israel, Yahweh had to bring them through the water, which was a picture of burial and then resurrection, and to deal with the old you. Remember we talked about the little Pharaoh control freak inside every one of us. We talked about the old nature that Pharaoh had and that we have. We talked about how it's a nature that is susceptible to demonic influence. It is very controllable by Satan. And what did the Father have to do to like, begin to rescue us? He took you. Okay, and this, this, is, this is almost a little abstract, so I want to I talk about this for a second. We're going to talk about the, the concept of being one with Yeshua. Like this thing where, you know, he talks about being in us, and it talks about us being in him. What is this? So let's just talk about that for a second. Um, what you see right now with your eyeballs 
is my body. Everybody see my body? And you wouldn't think of it like that. You'd be like, there's Izzy, right? There's Izzy waving his hands at me. Okay, that, that, you're looking at me, but what you're really looking at is my body. Because I am somebody who lives in this body. But there's more to me than this body. So I'm looking at you through my body. I'm waving at you through my hands. But there's more to me than that. You know what I'm saying? And that's like that for every one of us. I, you could call your body like your earth suit. You live in your earth suit. And so who you really are, you are not a body, you are a spirit. You are a spiritual being. Just like Elohim, what did Yeshua say? Is a spirit, if you've believed in Yeshua, then you are begotten of Elohim. It's like he had a baby and that baby was you. And you are made of spirit too. And so I'm a spirit that lives in an earth suit body. You're a spirit that lives in an earth suit body. And what did Paul say? He said there was a point when we knew Yeshua according to the flesh, like on a physical level, but we don't anymore. Kind of a no-brainer. He lifted off the planet. He's coming back. But in the meantime, you can't just like call him up on, on the cell or like Adam is a friend on Facebook or whatever, right? He's just, he's not in the physical world in that way. But you can contact him. You can see him just like you see me right now. But it's not on the physical dimension. What dimension is it in? The spiritual dimension. And fr quite frankly, I don't know how this works, but it's a lot closer knowing Yeshua in the spiritual dimension than in the physical. Because in the physical, like, you know, we can shake hands and we can be like, hey, how's it going? Give each other a hug or whatever. But in the spiritual dimension, we're actually a lot closer to Yeshua. It's like, it's like he's closer than your own skin. He says, I'm actually going to come inside of you. And you're going to be inside of me. And we're going to be one with each other. Just like I'm Echad, I'm one with the Father. That's, that's what you're going to experience with me. So who you really are, as a spirit, you and Yeshua are like all, you're like this together, in, in the spirit. Um, and Paul used different pictures to try and communicate that concept, and so did Yeshua. Remember Yeshua said, like, basically, being one with him, that's like when you eat a piece of bread, and the bread just becomes ingested into who you are. It becomes part of your physical constitution. Yeshua said, that's like what happens when you eat me. Just like you take a cup of water and you drink that cup of water and it goes into you and it goes flowing through your veins. Yeshua said, that's a picture of, of what happens when you take me into yourself. Just like, um, yeah, Paul used that analogy too. He talked about drinking of the Spirit. And sometimes like, you know, I, I think the Holy Spirit and Yeshua are separate people from what I can understand, but sometimes I think we think of them as really, really separate people. But think about this. The Holy Spirit is Yeshua's Spirit. Yeshua comes to you through his Holy Spirit. Yeshua comes into you through his Holy Spirit. I'll give you an example. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said the first Adam, he became a living soul. The second Adam, Yeshua, he became a life-giving spirit. So Yeshua's around. He's closer than you'd think. In fact, he's in this very room, and he's a life-giving spirit. And just like a demon wants to come into a person and control that person and override their natural senses, Yeshua doesn't come into you in a controlling way like that. But Yeshua wants to come into you as a gentleman and he wants to be welcomed by you and be comfortable in you and make his home in you so that he can love through you and look through your eyes and speak through your mouth and be life-giving to the world around you. I guess it's, 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 it's a very spiritual thing. Eh? It's a very deep reality. But it's, like, it's, a, it's a greater experience than anything we could ever experience physically. And um, what we see with Israel and uh, Egypt is, is a picture of that.
So let's maybe talk about that on a practical level. Like, okay, that's great. That's like, that is, that is, that's where you're at right now. Yeshua is in you right now. You're in him right now. Um, but does that mean like, yes, I'm there. Like, I never sin. I never hurt the people that I love. I, uh, et cetera, et cetera. No, of course not. Um, we are still in that process of like the old person dying and the new person like kind of taking over. You know what I'm saying? And um, I'll give you a really practical application from this concept of your union with Messiah. In um, Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, Israel was freaking out because they thought Pharaoh was going to massacre them. And this is what Moses says to Israel. And I think, it, I think it applies to us too when we have imminent threats of sin or spiritual assault or whatever else. He says, don't be afraid. Stand and see the salvation of Yahweh. Do you know what the Hebrew there for is the salvation of Yahweh? It's Yeshuat Yahweh. See Yahweh's Yeshua, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you'll never see them again, forever. And so um, there is a time when you are dealing with the spiritual enemies, when you, are, when you are dealing with a sin or whatever that besets you, there is a time to fight. There is a time to fight hard and to not give up the battle. But there's also a time to just experience the salvation by just saying, I can't do this. But you can. I can't accomplish salvation for myself and my situation, but you can. And so I'm just going to stand in faith and I'm going to watch your Yeshua come through because of where he is. He is in me right now because of where I am, because I am in him right now. I know, like I, I have some times in my life where I've tried to deal with sins on my own. I've done the whole willpower, um, kind, of, kind of just sweat it out, tough it out, and just try a little harder next time, make resolutions, whatever. And in my experience, that's never worked. The gospel of behavior modification or try to do better next time is a false gospel and it will leave you face down in the mud. In my personal experience, though, when I've like, just come to Yeshua and said, Yeshua, like, thank you for accepting me. Thank you for your love. I can't do the living in me anymore. I need you to do the living. And just kind of like let go and just stand and watch the salvation. I, I've seen so many times in my life where he came through for me. And I, I wonder if that isn't a practical application of this. I, I, for, I think maybe it's the difference sometimes between working and works and faith, eh? Salvation by my own works is just... But faith is like, Yeshua, you are the Savior. And I'm going to stand and watch you save me. And yeah, I'll cooperate too. I'll give you a, one passage about that from the prophets. Uh, Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, says this. This is what Adonai Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, has said. In returning and rest, you will be saved. And quietness and trust is your strength. But you weren't willing. <laughs> now, I'll read, I'll read that again. In returning and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you weren't willing. So, you know, there's a time when, like, if we are dealing with sin, when we are feeling so weak, there's a time to just, it's the smallest thing in your heart, turning to Him. 
It's kind of nice, actually. Like, turning to God doesn't mean you have to go and do jumping jacks in the front yard or run, like, half an hour on the treadmill or, like, journey halfway around the world to a holy city. Turning to God is just something that happens in your heart. It's a little turning. And all of a sudden, you're looking at Him and you're thinking about Him. And it's something that anybody can do anywhere at any time. It's fantastic. If you're a construction worker, you can even do that on the job site or in the porta potty. It works anywhere. Turning, that little returning, eh? And resting in him. Just being quiet before him, trusting in him. So I think maybe that's a lesson that Israel learned from this whole, um, this whole near fiasco at the sea. Uh, like, I love Israel's response to this because maybe it's like our response too. Maybe it's why we get together and we just sing and we celebrate. Because when Israel saw that they were saved, they just, they just lost it with joy. Like, they were so happy. They made up these big songs all the women in the whole nation got their tambourines and they just started dancing and singing. Awesome. That's us, hey? Like when, it's just, it's incredible. Like when you think Yeshua, like God killed the old you and Yeshua and he killed the old Pharaoh that controlled you and Yeshua and you're free now and he's alive in you and it's nothing but good news. Like, wow, you can't help but have a smile on your face sometimes. You can't help but celebrate. Actually, I, I, had, a funny, I had a funny thing happen this week. Um, I was talking with a girl who is not a believer, and she said, Izzy, do you smoke weed? And I was like, uh, no, why do you? I think I said, why do you ask? Like, do you want a joint or something? Are you looking for a joint? And she said, no, you're just really happy. <laughs> and I mean, and it, it, I, I, I am happy, actually. I, and I haven't always been a very happy person. I've had times when I had really dark depressions. I had times when I seriously wanted to kill myself, when I was suicidal. Um, I've had times when I've just, I can be a very intense person, and intense people are sometimes aren't very happy. And you just want to avoid intense people sometimes, you know? And I mean, sometimes I'm still that stuff, but I I'm, can't say I'm suicidal anymore. But, but all that to say, like, that isn't just who I naturally am. That's because, like... Because there's the, like Yeshua is inside of me and he set me free. And I, he makes me happy. He does. You know? So rejoicing isn't just something you do when you go to synagogue or church or whatever once a week. It's like, it's a lifestyle. It's like smiling at your neighbors. That kind of thing. It's like, ha, I'm saved. I'm going to smile at my neighbor. I can't help it. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you um, four little warnings for the journey from this parasha. It's like, it's kind of like, you're kind of getting this picture, hey? That you were immersed, you were redeemed through Yeshua's blood. And then there's this journey where he's taking you out from, from like the religious system, from addictions, from satanic control, all this junk. Um, there's this, like you being immersed in him when you made that declaration of your faith in him, when you chose to be immersed in water, um, when you were immersed in the Holy Spirit. It's like being, being um, immersed in the cloud. And it's like, yes, you're on the journey with him, but you're not there yet. There's this big wilderness stretching out in front of you, and Yeshua's going to lead you, and there are going to be some dangers along the way. So let's look at a couple dangers that Israel faced, and uh, maybe there'll be warnings to us in our journey of union with Yeshua, experiencing his cross, and uh, that, that type of thing. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18, let's look at that together. Exodus 13, 17 and 18, this is what we read. Now, when Pharaoh would let the people go, Elohim didn't lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. It goes on to say, Elohim led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Sea of Reeds. 
So did you hear that? There were two ways. One way was it was, it, was, uh, it was easy. It would have been convenient. It was just straight up the middle. Just, you just, just basically go as the crow flies from Egypt to Canaan, and you're there. And that would be the way that you would assume you would want to go. But instead, the creator of the universe, who is way smarter than we ever can be, and definitely smarter than Moses and the people of Israel were, he said, I'm going to take you this way, the way of the wilderness. And I'm going to take you straight towards a big wall of water. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if that isn't our experience sometimes. Like, the way of following Yeshua, it's not the, the easy way. It's not from point A to point B necessarily. It's not something that you can just logically map out in your brain and be like, okay, I've got a system, I've got a little set of rituals that I follow, and it's going to get me there. Like the way of Yeshua is the way of the wilderness. It's like when you just walk into the unknown and you would never go that way if he wasn't going ahead of you. It'd be like, I know this is where he's leading me, but this is crazy because I would never have thought of this one on myself. And guess what? He doesn't just lead us as individuals like that. He leads you as families like that. Have any of you had a chapter in your family life where you're like, I can't believe we did that, or I can't believe we moved there, or I took that job, or whatever. Yeah, maybe that was you following the cloud in the wilderness. Maybe that was you following Yeshua in the way of the wilderness. I mean, really, maybe you took a job that didn't pay as high as the other job you could have had because you were following him in the way of the wilderness. So that's, that's some danger number one. Just going with things according to your own plan, following your head, figuring it out, and forgetting all about the cloud. Um, danger number two is in Exodus chapter 14, verse 22. There we read... Nope, that's not it. Um, let's try 15.22. Yes, there we are. 15, 15.22. Okay, in Exodus 15.22, this is what we read. Moses led Israel from the Sea of Reeds, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went how many days? Three days in the wilderness and found no water. Everybody say, ouch. That, that would be very uh, disconcerting at that point. Because your water bottle only holds so much water, and then you run out. And then all you can do is think about getting a drink of water. And when you're like making tracks through the desert, and not just hiking at day, but at night too, you're going to run out of water really fast. And Moses back in Egypt was like, yeah, this is what Yahweh says. Let my people go so they can go a three days journey into the wilderness to serve me. And there you are. You've hit that three day mark and you're like, this is a disaster. We ran out of water yesterday. I'm totally dehydrated. My kids are freaking out and they're just like so on my nerves right now. And this is not what I imagined serving God would look like. We're really dry right now. This is not comfortable. And there is no relief in sight. No, guess what? Following Yeshua is going to make you uncomfortable sometimes. You're going to hit crunch times. You're going you're to feel dry sometimes. It's not going to be what you expect. Kind of like you know, like you kind of know, like the happy gospel. Like basically, just pray the sinner's prayer and do a couple little things, and you'll you'll be happy for the rest of your life and never encounter any problems. So like that that doesn't fly uh, in this in this story. 
So it's just, a it's just a danger to watch out for. When you follow the way of Yeshua's cross and union with him, you're going you're to go through dry seasons where you just are not satisfied spiritually. Um, you're going to feel like you're dying at times. And you know what? If you did something stupid, then don't blame Yeshua for it. Maybe, maybe you feel really spiritually dry because you're just not spending any time with him or because you have sin in your life and you're not willing to deal with it. So, you know, there are times when you're just wilting spiritually because you're doing something stupid. But there are other times when you're following him and you're doing everything you can and it's still tough. So just, just um, be ready for that. And at those times, be ready not to, to try and like keep from complaining. Don't impugn God's motives. You know, the Israel, they were like, ah, he, he took us out here to kill us. He just wants to kill me. It's like, that, that would be impugning God's motives, right? Don't question his motives. Just trust the guy. I mean, he took you this far. He's not going to drop you on your face, right? It might be tough, but you know, you're going to make it. And if you really need something, don't just start complaining and whining like a little kid. Just talk to him in prayer and ask him, eh? What did James say? If you, if you don't have anything, it's because he didn't ask him for it. <laughs> but I asked him once and he never gave it to me. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you need to ask him more than once. I mean, Paul, he had some deal with this thorn in the side thing. And he said he, he entreated the master three times. So, you know, this is a time to not just put in a little prayer, but, you know, really entreat the master several times. Pray instead of complaining. That's a lesson we learned from Israel. Uh, warning number three. Exodus chapter 14, verse 3, says this. Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they're wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. So when you follow the cloud, as it were, following Yeshua's spirit, um, taking the way of his cross, which will be tough on your old um, your old nature, your soul life at times. There are going to be times when you don't know where you're going. There are going to be times when you may even feel like you are wandering aimlessly. And there will be times when your friends or people from your old church or whoever may look at you like you're wandering aimlessly too. Just like Pharaoh looked at Israel and he said, these guys don't have a clue where they're going. They're just wandering around. Where you're going isn't ultimately your business. That's Yeshua's business. Your business is to, to follow him. And you know what? That may happen with us as a community. As we follow Yeshua as a community, there may be times when nobody has the vision, when nobody has the big plan. And I'm okay with that. I've had people, like, I've had many people ask me as, a, as, as you know, one of, one of the people who are giving leadership in our community, so what's your vision for your congregation? And I've just said, my vision is to follow Yeshua. That's my vision. Because uh, he's got the vision. I don't need to have the vision. I'm not walking by my sight by my vision, I'm walking by believing him, eh? Kind of hearing his voice and believing him, that thing. Yeah, so you, you see that here with, with Israel and Moses as they're uh, trucking through the desert. There's another verse about that. It's like the, uh, the modus operandi of Israel in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of Yahweh, encamped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Oh, days of on that one, eh? No water again. Anyway, the, the, the main concept there is it says, they journeyed according to the command of Yahweh. And the Hebrew there says, all pi Yahweh. Your pay is your mouth. Pi Yahweh means his mouth. So it literally says they journeyed on the mouth of Yahweh. So it's like they didn't pack up camp. They didn't take a step in any direction except when they heard from his mouth.
So those are some dangers that we see in this parasha as we follow Yeshua as individuals, as families, as a community. Um, you will be tempted to look back at times. You will want to go back because at times it will be dry, you will be uncomfortable, uh, it will not meet your expectations. Um, sometimes you'll feel like you're wandering aimlessly. Sometimes other people will think you're wandering aimlessly. You might feel like you're dying inside sometimes. It's part of the, it's part of the, it's part of the journey that we see here. And um, I, I believe this message is important for this particular chapter in our, our community here in Prince Albert, our journey, because um, you know, we're going to be going through some changes and some restructuring in the next month or two. And um, I just want to lay that down, that our, our modus operandi as a community is just to hear Yeshua's voice and to follow him, to follow the cloud of his spirit. Whatever that's going to look like, it is going to be an adventure. It's going to be the journey of a lifetime. It's going to be great. But you know what? It might be tough sometimes. It might not fit our boxes. It might not fit other people's boxes. And I'm ready for that. So let's just lock in and follow the master and um, never want to go back. Kind of be like Jordan Anderson, the slave. Just remember how it was serving the colonel. And to say, I've got a good life with my, with my new employer. I'm going to stay here. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.